Hi, everyone. This is Alien Talk Podcast. This is where we discuss all things about aliens and UFOs and where we always push the limits of our understanding. We are your hosts, Joe Landry and Nori Olford, here with you again to fire off Season 7 with more shows to go out to all of you on the World Wide Web as we explore the many manifold topics surrounding the idea of extraterrestrial life and the mystery of UFO encounters and other paranormal occurrences. Some of them crazy, some of them not so crazy, but all of them definitely fascinating. Anyway, it is great to be back to talk about more interesting subject matter. So, Lori, I think our topic from last time went over really well, don't you? Well, yeah. Um, we really enjoyed our last episode with Ryan, and uh, it appears that all of you did as well, according to our uh, download numbers. Uh, it was certainly very insightful and philosophical, and it stimulated a lot of deep thought about our beliefs, not only about aliens, but also our place as uh, human beings in this amazing universe. So, you know, we're glad to see that uh, you guys enjoyed it. And uh, we thank you all for your continued support of this podcast. You guys are awesome. And uh, by the way, I want to add that my wife and I uh, went and watched the movie 65 starring uh, Adam Driver over this weekend. It was on Friday and it was really good. And all I'll say is that it's about ancient aliens. That's it. <laughs> so, <Okay. laughs> so on with the show. So for today, uh, we are going to discuss something that has always ev evoked a vivid imagery of uh, long-held secrets going back to the time of Christ, and still in our modern time conveys a tangible impression of irreproachable fortitude, and that is the Vatican. Now, does it hold with it, within its uh, vast library ancient writings that have been presumed uh, to be lost to time. Uh, some of the material there goes back all the way to the ninth century and includes things like the minutes from the trials of the Knights Templar, the uh, Papal Bull that decreed Martin Luther, and indeed all those Protestants who followed him to be excommunicated, the uh, personal letter from Mary, Queen of Scots, uh, to Pope Sixtus V, uh, be begging his... Uh, intervention to prevent her execution which he didn't give by the way so <laughs> yeah. you probably shouldn't laugh at that but hey. no, I, I <laughs> but, uh, it's an ironic laugh is what it is yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but there are tons of documents of historical importance in the vatican library so so does it um also old others that tell of a uh, very secret knowledge such as who we really are and where we actually came from and does it also contain chronicles and other evidence uh, about extraterrestrial beings coming to Earth? We'll, we'll discuss those theories from a logical and you know, realistic perspective, you know, trying to focus more on the facts and less on the myths. And with that, we have to lay into the groundwork of this discussion. So please bear with us because there's some history about this place that you know many of you may, may not know about, right, Joe? Yeah, so when people hear the word Vatican, you know, the thing that comes to mind is the Pope. Um, it, it is the place where he lives and works over in Rome, the wonderful eternal city. And it is also where the College of Cardinals come together from around the world to lead the Catholic Church in many different ways, such as through sanctioning doctrines, uh, through upholding the presence of the Holy Spirit on earth by maintaining the meaning of the sacraments or by merely uh, serving as a visual living symbol um, through diplomatic relations to all international heads of state, 
Um, just there was a few th- uh, things about the Vatican. It is the Vicarage of Christ. It is the Apostolic See. It is the Pontificate of St. Peter. It is the Mother Church. It is the Catholic Sanctuary of Catholic Sanctuaries. And for centuries, it has represented a, the tangible political power uh, and the essence of Christendom through the Pope, in much the same way that palaces and mansions have done so for kings, emperors, and presidents. And now the word is derived from an Etruscan settlement on the hill with the same name from before the time of the Roman Republic, and it was the location of the Circus of Nero before the ch- first church structure was there. Um, you know, it was built there in the 4th century A.D., the obelisk that is in the square was brought to Rome from Egypt by the Emperor Caligula, and it is actually the remnant of the circus where many early Christians were said to have been martyred. So it is officially called Vatican City, as it is recognized as being its own sovereign city-state, independent from the rest of Italy, and that was formally declared as such by the Lateran Treaty of 1929. Uh, it covers over 120 acres and is comprised most prominently of the Basilica of St. Peter, uh, the Piazza of St. Peter, also called St. Peter's Square, the Sistine Chapel, the Apostolic Palace, the Tower of Nicholas V, the Church of San Pellegrino, and the Pinagoteca Galleria, just to name a few. Yeah, and to say that the Vatican is magnificent and lavish is an understatement. It's a, a massive structure. The dome is 450 feet high. Uh, there are statues on the outside and inside that are 20 feet tall, but but appear human size because they are seen, you know, from being eye or up so high. Everywhere you go, when you're there, your eyes are almost forced to be turned upward so as to see all the architectural marvels, the treasures and splendors that are. Um, there are without comparison and without price because the revenues and resources that have flowed through there over the centuries are virtually incalculable. And it, it does so without oversight to any government entity because the Vatican answers only to itself and God, of course. <laughs> so like any sovereign state in the world, the, uh, the Vatican has its closely guarded secrets. So it does indeed possess an archive, a very extensive one at that. And the question is, since they do have it, why don't they allow anyone to look at what they have in it? Now, the archival section is separate from the Vatican Library, where pretty much any visitor can enter. Um, It was once called the Vatican Secret Archives and was renamed just a few years ago by Pope Francis to the, the Vatican Apostolic um, archives. However, the strict protocol that is in place to go in there and view the material has not changed. Uh, scholars first go through vetting process where they are thoroughly investigated by something called the Curia and are either granted or refused access to the archives. And I bet my bottom dollar that's only based on what they select to research. They just, they, I mean, they just, they just don't give the free reign of the entire halls of archives. No, they just can't wander around. Uh, they're kind mm-hmm. of monitored. So it, it was in uh, 1612 under Pope Paul V that the secret archives were made separate from the rest of the Vatican Library. Now, bear in mind that back then you had to be pretty special just to be able to go into the Vatican at all, let alone get into the library. Uh, so what these materials were, you know, books, scrolls, parchments, whatever, 
the curia didn't want anybody to come across them at all, even by happenstance. And it said that what is kept in the secret apostolic archive is mainly private correspondence of the papacy, you know, important encyclicals and maybe even slush fund account books. But with over 35,000 documents stored there, we know there is a lot more than that. And actually, the, the prefect cardinals who oversee and manage the archives have said as much over the years. Now, it was in 1871 under Pope Leo XIII that the secret archives were open to scholars who were doing impartial and uncritical research. Like you said, Laurie, it was uh, with pretty uh, austere scrutiny. Uh, first of all, these documents are never allowed to be taken out. Uh, neither are they allowed to be photographed or are they, or any copies or facsimiles allowed to be made of them. And second, there is a, a reading room that's available, uh, probably with security uh, su- surveillance cameras that are in the, there now. Um, but no more than three documents can be studied at any given time, and they monitor this. Uh, actually, this this applies to the entire <clears throat> Vatican Library. Uh, they they kind of have rules about it for the whole the whole facility, not just the archives. So, in, a, in an effort to give more transparency to the Church, um, Pope Francis made the secret archives accessible to everyone uh, about three years ago in, in March of 2020. Uh, however, it was soon closed again almost immediately you know, right after that, uh, and that was due to the COVID-19 pandemic that uh, started in March of 2020. Uh, but it is now open once again to the general public. Right, but the scrutinizing rules still apply, and they still check you out to make sure you're not anti-Catholic for one and the prefect's staff aren't going to help you find anything controversial, defamatory, or otherwise earth-shattering. Uh, you have to be able to find that on your own. And with 53 miles of shelves containing over 35,000 documents from the last 12 centuries that are complexly categorized, uh, good luck stumbling up, stumbling upon it. Um, I mean, there's there's stuff that some scholars back in the 1880s were looking for that still haven't been seen yet. And not to mention that everything there is mostly written in Latin, maybe some of it in Italian, the Greek, Chinese, Hebrew. I mean, maybe even in something obscure like ancient Mayan or ancient Babylonian. So you better be fluent in in those languages, or at least some of them anyway. Uh, But some special individuals must know exactly how everything is categorized uh, in the archives and arranged in those Enormous vaults and in, on all those shelves, like you said, 53 miles worth of shelves. And certainly they would have control over protecting anything they thought to be extremely sensitive and secretive. And we have to remember that there are many other ecclesiastical libraries around the world that hold their own secret archives. Even within Rome, there are other libraries. You know, there's the Jesuit library and the uh, Valasiliana library that are said to hold secret books as well. So there is more than just one place for the church to stash away stuff that they don't want to be brought to the surface. And it's important to remember that this uh, that usually only after years of receiving requests from researchers that the Roman Curia will finally, you know, give them the access to certain material. It's it's a slow process. It's not like they just grant it right away. They kind of make them, they stall them for a while. Um, and for instance, you know, in the 1990s, uh, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, uh, later known as Pope Benedict XVI, uh, he finally opened up particular records that were specific to the Inquisitions and to the Jewish Holocaust, but nothing beyond that. So that to me means that there are people who know exactly where everything is stored and how to move certain things into view as well as certain things 
out of view. Um, plus, you know, viewing a document isn't permitted until after 75 years of it being reposed in the archives. So if it's new, it can't be seen. So the bottom line is this. If the pontiff doesn't want it to be revealed to the public, it won't ever. So then we have to ask, why are they so protective of some of these writings? If they are so concerned about bacteria getting in from the outside, then why let anyone in at all, right? Um, I mean, this can't be the reason why. So it must be because they can only trust certain individuals in that, you know, belong to a prestige institute or something. They obviously have trust issues and do not want this hidden knowledge leaked to the public. Now, strangely enough, in the 1920s, there was a Russian scientist named Gendrich Lugbit. Uh, managed, he managed to be given access to the archives, even though he was known to have connections with the Soviet government at the time. And while he was there, he came across old manuscripts that detailed the stories about alien visitors coming to Earth a long time ago. Now, this is based on what uh, Brent Swanser uh, wrote in MysteriousUniverse.com about Lugbit. This was dated back to March 31st of 2021, so just recently. Um, he came across texts that outlined how extraterrestrial beings were an integral part of the development of the great civilizations on Earth, such as Egyptian, Babylonian, Greek, and Mayan. Supposedly, he was able to take some photographs of some of these and take them back to Russia and had whole, uh, told some of the students about all that he had found in the Vatican archives. Yeah, however, that landed him in trouble with the KGB, who thought that he was conspir conspiring with the West by going through the Catholic Church in Rome, uh, which is a huge no-no in the Soviet Union. So he was put in one of Stalin's gulags during the years of World War II, uh, but eventually he was released, and not much was said about him until the 1960s, when a Russian journalist named Vladimir Kucherantz, uh wrote about how Ludwig had photographed the text from the Vatican archives and told of the secrets of things like alchemy, uh, as well as ancient codes that he deciphered as explaining that uh, alien entities had come to Earth and brought forth the human race, possibly much like the Anunnaki, um, who was mentioned according to Sitchin, and he, Sitchin talked about a similar idea much later, now, one thing that does seem far-fetched is the mention of photographs being taken of the text. Um, you know, these, of course, have never come to light. And you have to be a little skeptical about Ludwig being allowed to drag a camera into the Vatican archives. And remember, this would have been a 1920s type of camera, not a modern-day cell phone camera you can sneak in by keeping it in your pocket, which, of course, they highly discourage today, uh, knowing that, about this technology that you know, people have. Uh, no, he would have had to take a huge set of clunky photographic equipment that obviously could be noticed. So uh, I think it's highly dubious that he took pictures, you know, but given that Ludwig was a notable scientist and scholar of the time, I think it's definitely believable that he managed to do a good bit of research in the archives. Yeah, for sure. But we also have to wonder why the Vatican is not denying the existence of extraterrestrial life. Uh, being such a powerful institution, like the mighty church they are, then why not just say that it does not exist? Uh, the problem is they know things that we do not. And if they were to announce that extraterrestrials do not exist, then when the time comes for them to show up, the church will look foolish. So this makes us wonder that if they are indeed admitting to such things, then what exactly do they know? 
do they have knowledge of what alien race is out there and hit it this way? And what dates do they have for when they do show up? Uh, we cannot make naive statements such as, well, they don't have any information like that because, you know, they would have shared it by now. I mean, that's that's putting a lot of trust into the church to say such a thing. Um, the truth of the matter is that we don't know what they have. The theory that they may have this secret knowledge is just as valid as saying they do not. In fact, it may be that after they do arrive, the extraterrestrials, that is, the church will come forward with documentation proving what they knew all along. It might be much like what you uh, mentioned earlier, Joe, where you know the Curia allowed access to information into the Inquisitions uh, and, and the Holocaust. And of course, with all of the mystery and closed-door policy, you, you have to wonder if there isn't a connection between the Vatican and something more shadowy, something you know, uh, perhaps like the Illuminati. Yeah, and from when we hear about things uh, like the uh, Illuminati and uh, other secret societies, um, say like the Freemasons, is that they weld covert influence on world governments, and this would encompass the church as well. Um, but it really could be that the Vatican is its own secret society. Uh, we kind of see that with the Jesuit order and their Society of Jesus. That was founded by Ignatius Loyola and uh, Francis Xavier um, of Spain during the time that the Counter-Reformation was taking hold uh, so as to bolster a long-standing agenda to bring the papacy into global dominance. All, of course, under the mission statement to spread the gospel of Christ, ad majorum de gloriam, that being for the greater glory of God. <laughs> uh, in a lot of ways, you know, the Catholic Church almost works like a secret organization um, with all of its rituals, relics, priesthoods, you know, special initiations and liturgical rites that are steeped in old traditions that go you know, far back in time to when all these ancient secrets are thought to have been have taken root. Now, we what we also have to keep in mind about the Vatican, interestingly, is that it maintains an astronomical observatory, actually two of them, uh, one at Castile Gandolfo in Rome and the other right here in Arizona, up on Mount Graham. It's been there since the 1960s. According to Charles Camasoy, uh, with the magazine America, the Jesuit Review, dated May 19th, 2021, academics within the Catholic tradition have no problem accepting the idea of intelligent life existing on other planets. Like you said, Lori, you don't find the Vatican opposing the idea of alien life. They don't necessarily assert it, it does fall outside the formal liturgy. They simply take no official position on it. On a website called liberationtimes.com, Christopher Sharp wrote in a short thesis uh, dated January 20th of last year that since 2002, a think tank called the Council of International Federation of Advanced Studies, um, CIFAS, C-I-F-A-S, has held six conferences in Rome for the purpose of assisting the Holy See with the preparation of the discovery of extraterrestrial intelligence. And also the president of that CFS, uh, Latimero Bigelotti, commented in that it is a contradiction to theology to limit the omnipotence of the Lord in his possible creation of other life forms. Now, I'm paraphrasing, of course. So it seems there is a possibility that the piety uh, does have uh, much of our history's lost knowledge hidden away. This may mean that they have saved documents from the time of, say, Alexander the Great's conquest of 
Egypt, including things salvaged from the Library of Alexandria before it was destroyed by fire? If so, could they actually have information, such as in the form of ancient blueprints, that actually describe the building of the pyramids? Uh, could there be information about foreign lands to where the knowledge of the gods spread across the ocean to the Mesoamerican cultures, perhaps? Is there lost hidden knowledge about the Saqqara bird from Egypt? Uh, how was it built? You know, what was its purpose? What about the Baghdad battery? What information do they have in reference to that? Um, they, they may even have all the answers to how, when, and where abouts of uh, Atlantis. We just don't know exactly what they have. And with 53 miles of shelving, I'm guessing they have that and more material about things that we haven't yet contemplated. Yeah, well, it, it would appear that the Catholic Church has a long tradition of holding on to secret information that it has gathered over the centuries. There seems to be a, a clandestineness to it, uh, like underneath all the orthodoxy, that there is something like a cobble that is at work that not only preserves sources of ancient wisdom, but is on the cutting edge of understanding modern day things like aerial phenomena that have been reported. Uh, strangely enough, the chief Vatican astronomer, uh, the Jesuit priest, Father Jose Gabriel Funes from Argentina, uh, has come sh short uh, of just of saying just as much in this interview uh, that was um, recorded uh, with the Associated Press. It's dated June 8th, 2008. And in this uh, video interview, he says that the belief in, in alien life is not contradictory to the scripture. Now, not everyone would agree with that. Uh, there are plenty of evangelical congregations that would refute that on the grounds of the fundamental doctrine that man, humans, hold a unique and special place in God's universe and that he has a plan of salvation that can only pertain to us. So could it be that these guys who have had access to the secret archives for hundreds and thousands of years, uh, could it be they know something about the meaning of the scriptures that is deeply hidden from the rest of the world? You know, something about extraterrestrial life forms, perhaps. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, there is so much we don't know uh, with the Catholic Church being around for so long, for nearly uh, nearly 2,000 years now. And, of course, it makes you wonder with all the mystery if the Illuminati is not also an integral part of what goes on behind the veil of secrecy at the Vatican. Oddly enough, there were a couple couple of incidents just a few years ago where a whistleblower was arrested and did up uh, to, I think it was 18 months behind bars for exposing classified uh, Papa documents from the uh, archives. Now, this was reported by ABC News back on May 28th of 2012 with uh, Pope Benedict's Butler supposedly giving documents to the Italian media said to contain bizarre information that was much like that found in the uh, Dan Brown's uh, novels and the movies, the Da Vinci Code and the Angels and Demons. Then in 2015, there were two staff, two other staff members under Pope Francis who were arrested for leaking other confidential documents. So, you know, they take this stuff quite seriously, which makes you seriously wonder what in the world do they have hidden that will get you arrested for leaking it? Well, like we mentioned, it is a private collection and thus private property. And you don't mess with the uh, Swiss guard over there that sees it as God's private property. <laughs> um, I, I mean, the church has always had you know, this interest in, in secret information and also has had an interest in 
uh, astronomy of all things, uh, a very deep, long-rooted uh, interest in astronomy. It goes all the way back to the Middle Ages. The clergy has always had a, a practical need for it. You know, considered a Gregorian calendar that is in use throughout much of the world today. It was devised in 1582 after careful celestial calculations were made about the positions of the sun and moon throughout the year, you know, so as to determine the appropriate time for the seasons and uh, fix the days of the months and also to determine the holy days, especially Easter. Uh, much of the knowledge obtained by the church was used to serve the purpose of, you know, the geocentric apologetics that uh, at the time were supporting the dogma of divine handiwork. Um, and that they believe was found through the observation of the stars and the planets. Uh, it was a show that the science of the day reveals the glory of God uh, as seen in the heavens above. And that's a notion that prevails to this day in Catholic universities. And of course, we all know that the church for a very long time has refuted important discoveries made by Copernicus, Galileo, and Kepler uh, because those discoveries went against orthodoxy. And nonetheless, um, Volumes of charts, tables, analemmas, journals, diagrams, and almanacs are all kept in the Vatican Library and archives. We'll be back after a quick break. My name is Koji. And I'm Michelle. And this is the Japanese America Podcast. So this is where we look at all things Japanese American. We will bring alive the history, culture, and people that make up this diverse community. In this month's episode, we'll examine Koji's unique family history. To help bring this story alive, we brought on actor and comedian Derek Mio. He was reported to be extremely pro-Japanese and anti-American in sentiment. Her husband was taken into custody by the military authorities under a warrant authorized by the Secretary of War, who was his enemy of the United States. He was my grandfather on my dad's side. To hear more stories about Japanese America, you can listen to this podcast anywhere you normally download your podcast. So, you know, when the Spanish landed on the sands of the New World, we all know now that things didn't go so well for the indigenous people of South America. So imagine the Europeans' amazement when they uh, first came upon the Mesoamerican culture with their many step pyramids. There is curiosity in everyone, and that means that whenever uh, the orders were given to destroy the pagan worshipers and anything associated with their false gods, however, there there must have been those that you know uh, saw certain things and thought, you know, this looks really neat, and I bet it means something important. So the friars and the priests were most likely going over the material and what they deemed as important, they kept it. And it then eventually led to being archived in the Vatican. Now, this brings us to the question of whether or not actual UFOs have been associated with the Vatican. The answer, of course, is yes. And we brought this up before in how a lot of medieval and you know uh, Renaissance artwork depicts peculiar orbs and objects in the uh, in the scenes of the paintings. I consider the painting The Miracle of the Snow by uh, Masolino de Penacali, um, which was done around 1400. It shows Jesus and Mary inside of a cloud with what looks like an armada of UFOs throughout the sky behind them. And he was not an amateur painter. So for him to paint the clouds to not actually look like clouds was a no-no. Because those clouds actually look like modern-day UFOs. The legend is known as Our Lady of the Snow, which uh, occurred on August 5th 
back in 352 AD when a Roman uh, patrician named John dreamt that the um, uh, Virgin Mary told him to build a church. And she said that snow will fall to mark where it should be built. And this ended up being on Esquiline Hill, uh, not far from uh, the Vatican Hill. Uh, he then hurried off to the area and saw that snow was falling in the formation of a square. When Liberius, who was the pope at the time, arrived, he confirmed the miracle of the vision and built the foundation for the Basilica de Santa Maria Maggiore, the uh, or Maggio or Maggi Maggiore, I think it is. Yeah, they pronounce it. Yeah, Santa Maria. The uh, which is the uh, what's that? Uh, Santa Maria Maggiore. Maggiore, right? Uh, the uh, which is the largest Roman Catholic church dedicated to the Virgin Mary, right? Yeah, aside from tales of dreams and visions that are of a religious nature, there are accounts of UFO sightings, not only above the Vatican, but above, you know, many of the cathedrals throughout Europe. And just this past October, actually, footage was taken at St. Peter's Square, um, and that was, was showing white orbs of light flashing up in the sky in, in broad daytime. Um, and supposedly, these kind of uh, unidentified aerial phenomena, UAPs, are spotted pretty regularly over Rome, and they have been rumored to appear during times of a papal conclave. And actually, um, kind of intriguing, if you watch the news coverage of the announcement of Pope Francis's election in 2013, um, you can see that there's an orb of light moving across the sky beyond the rooftops of the Apostolic Palace. Um, it's many of the media uh, outlets coverage, like CNN, uh, the BBC, NBC, if you can find some of that old uh, video footage from the time when uh, Pope Francis was elected, um, look up in the, uh, the night sky and you'll, you'll see an orb that is sort of off to uh, the side, like where the Apostolic Palace is, um, sort of to the, I guess, be the north of the, uh, would be north or, yeah, the north of the, of the square. Now, now, some say it's a helicopter. Others say that according to many of the people who were attendants uh, who were at the square that night uh, said that there were no helicopters flying. So like many other sightings, it's unknown exactly what that was. Um, now, we mentioned once before how an egg-shaped object was seen over a, a soccer stadium in Florence, another important city in, in church history, roughly about 100 miles from Rome. Uh, and that was in 1954. And after its appearance, a local newspaper reported that uh, silver, fibrous, spiderweb-like glitter was found on the rooftops. Uh, it also said that some people claimed it snowed right after this object appeared, which does seem oddly similar to what is shown in the Miracle of the Snow painting. So it's still a mystery as to what this glitter was. It was called angel hair by some of the locals, and some scientists said it was nothing but a lot of spiderwebs. And according to an article from the BBC dated October 24th, 2014, the glitter was chemically analyzed at the University of Florence and was found to be made up mostly of silicon, calcium, and magnesium, all pretty common material. Um, so the result of the finding was inconclusive, and the samples of the angel hair were eventually lost. So we talked before about how certain places around the world you know, tend to be these hotspots for phenomenon. Um, especially like the way the 33rd parallel circumnavigates uh, the planet and covers places that are known to hold significance, either by way of mythological tradition or by a higher than usual number of sightings. So if you recall just a few weeks ago when we were explaining what the ancient aliens hosts were, were saying at their symposium 
you know, about ley lines that connect all these sites by zigzagging around the globe. And they pointed out on a map of Western Europe that there is a ley line that connects 12 cities uh, starting in, from England, going through France, and then ending up in Italy. Florence and Rome both fall almost right along that line. So like other sacred places, the Vatican, possibly even the Circus of Nero that was there before it, may have been built where, where it is because of the stories told in the remote past about how extraterrestrial visitors visitors would come and then come and go from that particular spot. Yeah, and we also find a similar paradigm between a holy place, a ley line, and an aerial phenomenon at the location of the city of Jerusalem. Of course, we're all familiar with the biblical accounts that come from there, but there is one story that is a little less known. And we have brought it up before, and that is what is told by the Jewish historian Flavius Josephus about the UFO that hovered over Jerusalem. So Josephus lived from 37 to about uh, 100 AD, and he claimed that the object was shaped somewhat like a sword, and it produced a light that illuminated the temple courtyard for half an hour. And he reminds his readers that a comet was also seen in the sky that circles the earth for an entire year that is very that is a very long time for a comet to be visible and not to mention that comets do not circle the earth they circle the sun now he wrote on the eighth day of the month of Zanicus that there was a brilliant light upon the altar of the temple in the ninth hour of the night which is zero three hundred hours or three a.m in the morning so that it looked as though it was daytime but it gets even better so now listen to this, and I'll read it from his script. So on the 20th, on the 21st day of the month, Artemisium, uh, there appeared a miraculous phenomenon, passing belief. Indeed, what I am about to relate would, I imagine, have been deemed a fable were it not for the narratives of eyewitnesses and for the subsequent calamities which deserve to be signalized. For before sunset throughout all parts of the country, Chariots were seen in the air, and armed battalions hurtling through the clouds and encompassing the cities. Now, this is in the Wars of the Jews, book 6, chapter 5, verse 3. So Josephus makes it seem like, you know, uh, what he said there in that passage, that there were too many uh, eyewitnesses for this to be believed as a fable. Uh, and he described this event as, you know, he said there were flying armored battalions of chariots. Um, yeah. so he's trying to, you know, validate what he's saying because he's uh, claiming he's not the only one who saw it, that a whole bunch of people did. Right. And this was supposed to uh, have been around 66 AD at the beginning of the Jewish, uh, rebellion against the Romans. And that lasted about seven years. Um, and notice that he also said that these battalions were hurtling through the clouds and encompassing, which is you know, surrounding the cities. Um, so he's describing something pretty uh, incredible, uh, something that was uh, pretty profound and, and uh, it was amazing. Uh, even just reading this passage, it is an amazing description. But the yeah. problem we face with Josephus is uh, that not only aren't there any narratives, many of those witnesses, but none of them are even named. And, and this is much like how in Matthew twenty-seven fifty-two. Uh, we have this problem where it claims that tombs were broken open and bodies were raised to life. And those bodies went out into the city and were seen by many people. 
Um, also in Matthew 27, 50, um, Mark 15, 37, and Luke 23, 46, it says that the curtain in the Holy of Holies of the temple was ripped open. The problem is we have no statements by those people who saw any of this, nor do we have the names of any of them who, who saw any of this. So just you know, saying that a whole lot of people saw something does not in itself make it more believable if it cannot be corroborated. Uh, although, I will say to Josephus's credit, there is another source that mentions a similar thing happening right around the same time frame, and that's from the Roman historian Tacticus, um, who lived from 56 to 120 AD. Uh, he records the same event in his work titled Histories, uh, and I'll read that passage. There had been seen hosts joining battle in the skies, the fiery gleam of arms, the temple illuminated by a sudden radiance from the clouds. The doors of the inner shrine were suddenly thrown open, and a voice of more than mortal tone was heard to cry that the gods were departing. Uh, this is in Book 5, verse 13. So here both Josephus and Tacticus um, are, are saying that something big and something supernatural was going on in the skies over Judea at the beginning of the Jewish revolt against Rome. Uh, this is sort of the impression we get even from the gospel writings, uh, like with Jesus' baptism, his transfiguration, his ascension. The images that we gather from these stories is that miraculous and magical things were taking place in the skies, mostly, and that they were beyond human comprehension, at least beyond human comprehension back during that time. Yeah, and Texodus even describes him as having shining armor and battling with uh, lightning, and that the gods are essentially saying, hey, we're out of here. <laughs> uh, then there is the rushing tumult of uh, their departure. So, wow, uh, this could merely be vivid imagination, but keep in mind that these books are not considered as epic uh, poetry. They're historical literature written so as to record events that had taken place at that point in time as accurately as the writers possibly knew how. And while the style during those times may have been to embellish and exaggerate details that were of great significance, they revealed the perception of extraordinary occurrence of which they may, may have struggled to find the appropriate vocabulary for. Uh, if, if I were to read about an alien invasion documented from uh, 2,000 years ago, I would expect it to sound like this. Uh, this event was expounded upon the early church bishop, uh, um, Eusebius of Caesarea. He was a bishop in the early church who lived well after the time of the Jewish revolt from 263 to about 239 AD. So he definitely could not have witnessed it. But he says in his work titled Ecclesiastical History, for before the setting of the sun, chariots, and armed troops were seen throughout the whole region in midair, wheeling through the clouds and encircling the cities. Now, this is in Book 3, Chapter 8. And I really like how he put it. Sun chariots and armed troops in midair, wheeling through the clouds, encircling the cities. Sun chariots? I mean, could, could he actually mean shiny disks that are spinning through the clouds and around the cities? I mean, this is amazing stuff when you read it. Yeah, it truly is. And it is uh, that same sort of, in that same time frame, roughly around 313 AD, uh, Eusebius mentions the vision seen by Emperor Constantine near the Tiber River at the Melvian Bridge before his battle with Maxentius. 
uh, and it, Constantine's vision was of a blazoned uh, cruciform seen up in the sky. And this cruciform had a banner that went across it, and it had the words inscribed, En hoc signo vinces, which is, by this sign you shall conquer. Of course, Constantine did conquer, and he became the first Roman emperor to convert to Christianity. And this was a momentous event that changed the course of history, and it seems to be because of something amazing that was seen up in the sky. Yeah, for sure. And it makes you wonder what the heck was going on back then, especially when you consider that the miracle of the snow event is said to have taken place within the same time period, that being in the era of the early church, which, according to a lot of different manuscripts, uh, some of them included the New Testament, was loaded with all kinds of stories of wondrous things you know, being seen up in the skies. Um, interestingly enough, there is a more recent report of a sighting in that part of the world. Uh, it was a few years ago, back in 2011, actually, that the uh, footage of an orb uh, over the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem went viral. And many of you have probably seen it. It shows a ball of light hovering right above the dome for like a few minutes, and then it zips straight up into the atmosphere at like warp speed. It's gone in an instant. And obviously, the person recording it with his cell phone camera reacts to what he witnesses, as do the others who are nearby. But many people who have seen this clip and have maybe even analyzed it a, a little more closely have determined that it is a fake video. Um, there's still a debate over that, of course. But regardless, <clears throat> that was certainly not the only time that people have seen strange things in the sky. Um and what is profound to think is that the orb from the cell phone video was over the exact same spot as was the sword-shaped object mentioned by Josephus. Since the Dome of the Rock is built upon the Temple Mount, which back in the first century was where that brilliant light was described that lit up the altar of the temple in the ninth hour of the night. So even if the video is a fake, the ancient text that we have kind of puts it into a different perspective. And you have to wonder if it was a similar thing that was said to have been seen by the residents of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Yeah, that's a fascinating uh, thought to conceive there. I mean, to wonder, you know, what, what these people 2,000 years ago were seeing in the skies over Jerusalem, which, yeah, this, this uh, cell phone um, footage that was taken is in the same spot now you know like you said it, it's the, 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 jury, the, the jury's still out there whether that's a, an authentic video or not but either way it's in the same spot where josephus would have mentioned seeing all that stuff uh mentioned in his his, his uh, books um yep. and you do have to wonder you know going back to the vatican you have to wonder if the uh archives in the vatican uh if it serves as a bastion of clandestine and covert information such as this and that has been kept along in the comprehensive annals of extraordinary events that have happened on Earth since the beginning of the Christian era. And uh, if that is so, and then what is actually told about those events from the beginning of the Christian era, uh, the evidence of, ex of alien life existing elsewhere in the cosmos, and that our origin as humans is the outcome of that alien life having always been present here on this planet. So, as usual, uh, you, the audience, must decide what you think is the truth. So, that's it. Uh, we hope you all enjoyed the show today. Uh, next time we join you, we're going to discuss some of the latest news headlines that we've been hearing about 
with UFOs being shot down in American airspace, uh, to include the account of that Chinese spy balloon, which was also shot down and is thus causing a lot of international tension. Yeah, and uh, we'll examine these uh, recent events and compare them to similar ones from the past that have been reported from over the last uh, 80 years now and you know, see how it all stacks up. <laughs> also, uh, we've put up uh, our March uh, newsletter on our website, and uh, we've received some encouraging comments and posts on our Facebook page from some of you. So thank you for that, and please visit us at uh, www aliantalkpodcast.com and drop us a message about your thoughts on the show and about some of what you would uh, like us to talk about uh, some uh, at a later time. So, but anyway, send us your thoughts and your ideas or whatever, because uh, Joe and I would love to hear from you guys. Yeah, that's right. Uh, this is a new approach, approach that we're taking here to try to expand the, the podcast so that we can better connect with all of you out there and and hopefully bring you more ways to get some truly insightful information uh, to not only include monthly newsletters, but also uh, to include lists of recommended books and Internet sources that may be of interest to, be, to you. So uh, please tell your friends and family members about the program. And we look forward to being with you again next time right here on Alien Talk Podcast. Stay curious. Take care, everybody.